Putting the ball on play. He gets it out deep and have a check In trouble. It's going to get there. He turned 32 yesterday. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone. It is caught. Final play of regulation. Kick down the way. No, it's lost. The Raiders got it. Live ball. Will Hill picks it up. Running near sideline. He's got blockers. Browns 40, 30, 20, 10. One man to beat. Touchdown, Ravens. Good evening, everybody. It is Thursday, March 18th, and we are recording here on Sinister Sports. It is episode three, and as usual, I am Evan, your host, recording live from Washington, D.C., along with my pal, comrade, and co-host, Matt, from the Matt Not-So-Frozen North in Minnesota. How are you doing today, my guy? That's right, Evan. It's beautiful up here. I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Um, you know, can't complain. I am, uh, I'm actually, you guys can't see it on the pod because of course podcasts are a specifically audio medium, but I am rocked out in my Joe Flacco extra large Reebok Ravens jersey that I got from the, uh, kind of shady value village up in Glen Burnie, Maryland. But, uh, I'm decked out because I am getting my, Questionably one and only COVID vaccination tomorrow up at MT Bank Stadium in Baltimore, which is, of course, where the Ravens play. Um, not sure what uh, what what brand it is. It seemed like it was going to be the Johnson and Johnson vaccine based on what uh, what I had heard. But uh, I don't know. So uh, we'll just we'll just see what happens there. But I'm, I'm excited. It's my first uh, <laughs> it's my first actual experience with MT Bank Stadium. And it's uh, it's for a good cause. Yeah, that's awesome. Congrats. I'm excited for you. Um... I saw they opened up a vaccine clinic at Lambo yesterday. Um, that'd be kind of cool experience, although. Yeah, honestly, it's like we just need to we just need to nationalize all of these sports arenas because like we finally wow, we finally realized in like 2020 that these are very equipped to handle masses of people and we can vote there, we can do vaccines there. Can you imagine all that we could do if we just simply nationalized all of these sports stadiums i mean i wouldn't get too carried away because what's the next step publicly financed stadiums hmm it's a dastardly plot to overthrow america this is what this is what the communists were planning in the <laughs> 1940s and you see those like like anti-communist comic books it's like this is the plot to destroy america publicly financed sports stadiums oh golly well we've got a we've got a f- fun and fun and flirty pod coming up for you guys as usual we are we are featuring the return of our segments of horrible news this week in wisconsin and boy do we have a fuck ton of news to talk about there and uh, we return again with our favorite activity the barstool beatdown i think that's what we're going to call it now barstool has also been up to no good as usual the general chump fuckery you know drunk ass bro misogynist harassment uh, always finds a way to uh, to trickle out on the internet, even from the guys who are quote some of the better guys at Barstool. But I feel like that's kind of a a gold plated turd right there. Yeah, there's not much more to say there, but I think you nailed it. <laughs> so, uh, but first things first tonight, uh, we have another special guest, another illustrious guest here 
on Sinister Sports. And interestingly enough, our second guest in a row who hails from Colorado, maybe not hails from, but is currently living there. Um, I'm very pleased to welcome a, a colleague of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, um, my academic older brother, as uh, some might say, as we have the same advisor. I'm very pleased to welcome on the show, Carrie Tanner. Carrie is a fifth year PhD student at the University of Maryland, uh, where I am also a PhD student. And he is very knowledgeable about movies and baseball. He's taught courses on baseball history, and I believe on movie history. Kara, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but a great guy, uh, a great a great friend, a great presence. Carrie, welcome on to the show. We're really glad you're able to make it tonight. Hey, thank you. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. So, Carrie, uh, what we like to do with our guests here is, is before we launch into the topic that we're going to talk about, it's just kind of I we like to hear about you know, kind of what, what are your interests? You know, this is a leftist sports podcast. You know, how have you kind of connected, um, connected sports and sports spectatorship with, um, with like progressive or, you know, otherwise socially aware causes and, you know, kind of what's your history with, you know, in this, in this case, baseball, but we'll, we'll hear any sport. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's baseball and uh, and sports history where uh, that, that helped me uh, kind of understand labor history better than almost anything else. I um, sorry, uh, the, the the when I first started uh, thinking seriously about, uh, you know, what does it mean? to be paid what you're worth? What does it mean uh, to be exploited by the people you work for? Uh, is when I, I was a very young person, I first watched um, Ken Burns' famous baseball documentary. And in that documentary, you have a guy named Marvin Miller, who was a labor organizer, and he had a talent for explaining pretty complicated things in pretty simple terms that everybody could understand. And he asked this question, this rhetorical question, uh, you know, what does it mean to be exploited and what does it mean to be, you know, paid what you does it being exploited mean you're not being paid very much or or perhaps does it mean there's a great disparity uh, between the value that your labor creates and what you're being paid for uh and uh and and that and that just started me right down the rabbit hole yeah what is the difference what does it mean to be exploited you know uh, this this came out this happened in the middle of the 1990s shortly after the big labor strike when so many people were saying these players are getting paid so much what are they complaining about well if you look at how they're how much value they're creating by doing some uh, pretty specialized things that only they can do other people can't do and what they're being paid for it well they clearly are being <laughs> exploited uh, they clearly are not. They are underpaid, even though they are getting paid an awful lot of money. Uh, so that's what got me kind of started on it. Uh, started thinking about uh, about labor issues and about uh, issues of uh, uh, exploitation by capital uh, of labor and uh, and uh, just this kind of simple rhetorical question that Marvin Miller asked in this in a PBS documentary of all things. Uh, and, and, uh, that got, that's, that's where it all kind of started for me. 
Yeah, I feel that. That's um, you know, I'm, I must confess, I haven't seen any 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 Ken's Burns myself, but I, uh, it's I'm getting there. Look, man, my watch list is like three miles long, and it gets it gets longer every day. But um, I really like I really like where you've kind of where you've kind of brought us, Carrie, because it, it's like sports history is like this emerging. It is like this emerging field that, you know, we're starting to see where we're having these critical perspectives on sports that are all the more important when there's such like a there's such like a standardized, rationalized part of of like American culture. So like having those critical perspectives is definitely important. It's okay to hate on Ken Burns. I do it all the time. Uh, there, uh, his big documentary series usually have some sort of kind of triumphalist uh, flair to them. Uh, some kind of, uh, you know, this, you know, every, there were things that were bad, but then everything was good because we're America. Everything eventually sorts itself out, this kind of ridiculously Whiggish interpretation of U.S. history. Uh, but in the process of doing that, he'll often have as talking heads some very interesting people. And, uh, and so, there, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of nonsense and, and, uh, uh, in especially in this 2010 update that he did, which is basically here's what happened in 2004 with the Red Sox for four hours, and uh, but it, you know there there's there's problems with Ken Burns, but that, but but uh, you know that's that's where I got started because it it is really accessible. You don't need to have read marks to turn on PBS and have a Ken Burns documentary playing. And Oh, look, they're talking about baseball. I like baseball. Uh, and then here's this guy asking this question that just kind of sends your mind through loops for the next few decades. And then once you, once you find out a bit more about Marvin Miller, you find out that, you know, that's why he was on there. And that's why he had the success that he had as a labor organizer it was because he was able to, to pose really big issues in really simple terms. You know, he's, he, when Marvin Miller, um, I could go, I could end up talking about Marvin Miller for an hour and a half. So stop me anytime. But the reason that he's, he's in any kinds of documentaries is because he was so effective as a labor organizer in a field that hadn't seen really any meaningful success in a long time. And even when it, when there were successes where the, the players ended up controlling a bit more of the conditions of the labor, they it ended up being rolled back by crooked judges. But uh, but when uh, Miller showed up to spring training in 1960, I want to say seven, uh, he, he starts talking to players. A lot of them went straight out of high school into into the minor leagues. You know, they probably haven't read Marx. They probably haven't thought critically about uh, about labor and about what exploitation of labor really means. And he's able to get all these guys together and and organize these guys. A lot of them are coming from very conservative backgrounds too. Some some very you know kind of right wing backgrounds and are, are are kind of skeptical about labor organization. Does it kind of make them a communist if they do that? That's gonna you know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be betraying my family, betraying my country if if I listen to this guy. But it but it, he he because he wasn't uh you know this intense firebrand. He was a very calm person. And uh, he he was not a shouter, and he 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 had made a a, a a career of talking to some very unpleasant people, 
and and winning them over to his side and or getting what he needed out of them for his union members by you know calmly going over the the realities of the matter so i mean that to me just like i said that's that's where that's how i got started thinking critically about these things and it kind of grew onto some you know into into other areas area you know especially when we're talking about sports we're talking about people that are playing games and people think about uh, sports in terms of this is a game that i played in high school why are these guys getting paid so much why this you know yeah i played you know tight end on my high school football team why should a guy get paid a you know five million dollars ten million dollars to do that i played shortstop on my high school team i played shortstop i was a very bad pitcher in little league myself you know i have a a personal connection to it but uh you know when you when you consider that this isn't high school this is a very large business controlled by some extraordinarily wealthy people who are interested in controlling everything about it about their business and uh, preventing the people who are generating the uh, the value that that this billion dollar business has from controlling the conditions of their labor, from gaining uh, uh, you know uh, health benefits, or or getting paid somewhere near the value that they're generating. Uh, that, that's why that's what that's what's really fascinating to me. You can see what a what a steel worker or a miner does. The 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 mine needs to be worked, and these guys are working it. They they you know the factory needs uh, people working in it. But the what is produced, the value that's produced in professional sports is a is a bit more ephemeral, a bit more difficult to nail down. You have to look a little bit more deeply, and because people have this uh, personal connection to sports as something that children do for fun. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's easy to kind of marginalize the tremendous value that professional athletes uh, generate and that the, you know, that the bosses control unless, unless they unionize and force the bosses to, you know, to do what they want. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all really you know, clearly this is why we have you on here, Carrie, because you are passionate and you're an expert and what you were saying about being a, being a very poor, what shortstop on your, uh, pitcher. No, I was, pitcher. I was a pitcher and a, the slowest outfielder in my entire league. <laughs> I feel that Matt, um, that was, that reminded me that Matt, you, you played freshman baseball, didn't you? I didn't actually. I stopped after eighth grade freshman basketball. I, I did. Swore, but... I don't know why I swore you were, you were on the extremely terrible Green Bay East High School freshman baseball team. Will we go a, po- I, I will we go a podcast without talking about our high school? Probably not. No, no. <laughs> um, no, that's another. That's a fun fact. Many people don't know about me is that I was um, I rode the bench for my freshman year because I was a fuck up and I was ineligible for the entire season. And then I started uh, the soft my sophomore year on JV as the manager. And then eventually enough kids quit the team that they had to uh, put me in. Otherwise, uh, they would have forfeited the game. So, uh, but I have a, I believe I graduated with like a, with, I believe I graduated with like a 6.667 or something batting average. Cause I went to bat like three times and got a hit twice. So nice. could, could possibly be the highest uh, batting average in school history. No one can take that away from you either. We, we might never know. Yeah. My dad always says that, that I, I, I outclassed him in that. I, I still remember my hit. In all the years of uh, of playing Little League, I had a hit, and it was awesome. 
I hit a I hit a double to to right center, and uh, and I made it I, I made it to second. Even though, like I said, I I re- was then as I am now among the slowest runners on earth, and uh, and and it was it was it was exhilarating. I got to tell you. Yeah. So the so I wanted to I wanted to pose one more question um, before we before we segue into kind of the other thing that you were interested in talking about that I think I'm going to pass off the questioning to Matt too since I think he's more knowledgeable than me. But I know you've taught I know you've taught like uh, history of American baseball. I think here at Maryland. Yeah, I taught uh, upper level survey on baseball history, and I and uh, you mentioned the film thing. I, I taught a, a freshman research seminar on the use of American films as historical sources. So, so I was just kind of curious, you know, with like with the description that you gave to us of like your interpretation of these like labor policies within baseball, my kind of my kind of like last question on my end is what's kind of the upshot of your like baseball of your baseball history course? How are how are you how are you using baseball to tell the American story like I might use comic books in my research to tell the American story? Well, the, the, the reason that I, that I, uh, proposed a course, I took a course similar to this, uh, from someone who is more of a specialist sports historian at, uh, at, as an undergraduate at, at Metro state here in Denver. Um, and, uh, I was, uh, I was intrigued by how many of the major problems as we, uh, refer to them as historians, the major problems of uh, American history, the, the, the big, the big issues, all of them, all of them over the past 150, 175 years um, uh, are, are happening in the, in baseball, in the world of baseball, in the world of shared spaces, in the world of, uh, of, um, uh, of what workers choose to do during their time off in their fights to have time away from work time that they don't have to be at work. Are they, you know, can they play baseball? Can they go to baseball games? You know, you know, labor organization obviously is a big one. The role of uh, uh, the role of uh, women in American society, in in politics and in public life, the uh, uh, of course, racial segregation, every every twist and turn of Jim Crow segregation and uh, the fight against uh, racial segregation in the United States can be analyzed through baseball because it's happening in baseball at the same in, at the same time at different rates. There are wins and, and losses happening at different times than maybe uh, the general uh, the you know the general freedom struggle. But uh, but you can analyze every single thing. So I found that it was a real fun way into the heavy lifting of American history. You know what is you know the the when. When the, uh, you know, the, the soldiers are going off to fight in the civil war, what are they doing during their ample downtime? They, you know, these soldiers, it's hurry up and wait. They, they have a battle and then they're just kind of sitting there for a while. What are they doing? Well, they're playing baseball. They're playing, they're playing cards. They're doing other things, but they're playing baseball too. And then when they come back from uh, the civil war, what are they doing, uh, you know, during their downtime when they return to industrial jobs and, you know, farms and what, what have you, they're playing baseball. They invent hand signals. Many of the hand signals that you see managers using to signal to players or from catchers to the pitchers 
are, are, are it descended in some ways from the hand signals that Civil War soldiers used on the battlefield. It's, it's the American history, all the big problems and issues are, are woven deeply. And if you unravel all the little threads, you, you can really dig deep into uh, U.S. history uh, by, by, uh, by examining baseball for sure. Why do you think it's baseball in particular that is such a good like example and mirrors so many problems that we've had in American history? Is it like the type of people in the game? Is it the owners? Is it that the seasons are so long and they're playing every day? Or what is it about baseball in particular, do you think? As opposed to other sports? That? Yeah, because I mean, you know, professional football has been around since, I don't know, the early 30s. Baseball, obviously, longer than that. Do you think it's just the length of how part, long baseball has been is, around? Yeah, partly is that that there's uh, that baseball has been around so long and, and it's been around in a, in a in recognizably organized way for a very long time. So going back, when I teach my course, I start with the market revolution. People think, oh, well, you should start at the Civil War. It's really the market revolution went because every town has its own ball game. And uh, and uh, but it doesn't matter if everybody's using a hundred different rules. If there's a different rule set of rules in this town than there is in another town, well, the market revolution, the Erie Canal, all the the transportation revolution, the early nineteenth century. Now teams are playing are able to play teams from other towns, and so you have to standardize the rules, and you have so that changes. They start publishing rule books, and and you know that I think that's the advantage you have with baseball because it goes so far back that this you know they're Americans have been playing ball games as long as as, as since the first European settlers, and uh, and to say nothing of Native American sports history that goes back far before that. People have been hitting balls or rocks with sticks going back to ancient Egypt. But the, you see uh, you see evidence and, and uh, source material on ball games uh, going back at least into the 1630s and 40s in Massachusetts. And so it, so it helps that it goes back that far and, and that the other games are uh, invented or developed in a recognizable way a lot more a lot more recently. Um, but because it was you have the development of these organized leagues during the uh, market revolution in into the antebellum period, into the Civil War and Reconstruction period, you're able to kind of track differences in the way that people communicate and interact with each other across within their own cities, but uh, also across regions, uh, just by looking at, you know, who are they playing? You know, who's allowed to be on the team? Who's able to be on the team? What, what time of day do they schedule these things? So you see that, it, you know, during the antebellum period, it's largely a middle and upper class thing because, you know, people that are working in these uh, industrializing cities uh, uh, aren't able to take the time off uh, to go uh, do them. And then middle and upper class people use their participation in baseball as a marker of class status. So so I think baseball is is helpful uh in that way uh because it goes back so far and because it's it's involved in all the big the big uh you know the big issues but it, you can certainly there and i've seen uh other uh historians of other sports do this too to examine you know more recent issues or issues specifically relating to the 20th century um uh but until you know mass media it's kind of difficult to have uh, the, the mass media specifically contingent to the 20th century, it's it's kind of difficult to have multiple sports in multiple markets competing against each other. And and, and certainly and you know, once once you have trains and then airplanes, it's it's it you know it speeds things up considerably. But 
you know, that, that, that's what, uh, kind of a long winded answer, but that, that's what I think it is. It's a combination of how far back it goes and the, you know, the, the, the fact that it touches on just every part of American life. Yeah, I really like that. And, you know, it is, it is kind of the cliche of calling it, calling it America's pastime, which maybe, which maybe I don't want to admit because I like football and basketball more, but it is, uh, it is definitely a, a compelling historical argument. Well, for other sure. sports are more popular at times. I mean, that, that's the thing right now, football, certainly pro football is more popular than uh, baseball in many, in, uh, in many respects. And in the 1870s and 1880s, uh, baseball is not the most popular sport. It's probably boxing or horse racing at that time. And, you know, other sports, you know, kind of come and go, but it's, it's, it's as a historian, it's, it's really, uh, 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 really tantalizing to look at baseball because it just kind of continuously just sort of rolls right on. It keeps, it, it just kind of keeps on going it, you know, where other sports kind of, you know, pop up in the 1890s, there's a massive, massive track cycling fad where people go to bicycle races at, at, uh, velodromes, these bicycle tracks, uh, including one built at the, uh, the, that version of the Madison square garden. There's been a bunch of different versions of Madison square garden, but in the 1890s, it was all the rage to go to these six day bicycle races, uh, where these guys would ride bikes 24 hours a day for six days. And the entertainment was watching them go insane and start screaming at people that weren't there and falling over, you know, nearly dead. This was a very intensely popular sport for about what, about four or five years, I want to say, but baseball's still there all, all that whole time. You've, you know, people are also going to baseball games. I think it's fascinating too, that even if you look back to the early days of, the 20th century, at least of baseball, there hasn't been that many drastic rule changes in the game itself. Um, you know, they're still playing nine innings. They're still, I mean, just the way the leagues are structured too, it goes back a lot of, a lot of, I mean, obviously teams have bounced between the two leagues, but just the way the whole like setup of the game compared to a lot of other sports, like there hasn't been that many drastic changes, which I guess kind of segues nicely into your second point, Evan, looking at the minor league level where not only from like a game, like the rules of the game and how, different things they're trying to implement almost like using it as an experimental league moving forward for things that the big leagues want to do. But obviously also from a labor perspective, plenty of issues there that they're almost experimenting with the owners. Um, so can a lot to be impacted there as well. Right. So, so yeah, you, you mentioned uh, rule changes and, and one of the appealing things about uh uh, about baseball, especially for people like me that have been watching it intently since I was a little kid, um, th is that it is essentially the same game at, that they were playing in the 1880s. There was, a, uh, there was a, a few periods in the mid-19th century where rules were being standardized and not everybody agreed what the rules should be. There was It took them forever to outlaw soaking, which is throwing the ball directly at a base runner and and trying to hit him as hard as you can uh to get him and if you did he was out that was it took him forever to get rid of that rule even though it was obviously injuring people pretty badly and uh but uh but yeah if you if you go back to eight you know the 1890s you see it, 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 you see you know the the 
the bases are are 90 feet apart the the pitching mound is about 60 feet out uh it would, it would very soon be standardized to 60 feet six inches which is what it is right now uh and it is and it's basically it, it, in many respects the same game the way that it's played is different the type of ball the type of people who are allowed to play uh have changed uh substantially over the course of the 20 20th and early 21st centuries but it you know it is recognizable if you went to a football game in the 1890s it doesn't look anything like it does now except there's guys trying to tackle each other and trying to move a ball down the field everything else is totally different uh but baseball looks a lot like it does uh, right now and that, and that is uh, the appealing thing is that there haven't been too many dramatic rule changes and 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 recently um in uh, it, it, just last week, uh, Major League Baseball announced some rule changes for minor league baseball that look like they may eventually someday uh, kind of get moved up the scale to the major league level. Um, they are trying to encourage uh, more base dealing and, and higher scoring. I mean, that's been going on continuously for 100 years, literally since 1920. Uh, a, a bunch of uh, uh, major rule changes went through in 1920 uh, that shifted the balance of power from the pitcher to the batter. Um, but uh, just uh, the proposed rule changes at the it, are a little bit different for each of the minor league level. At high A, pitchers will be required to disengage the rubber completely before throwing to any base, and that's the, the idea. There is to give a base runner more uh, more warning before a pitcher makes a pickoff move, which is going to likely result in a lot more stolen bases and a lot higher scoring. And um, the at the low A level, there's, uh, the, you know, the for those that don't know, there's uh, four basic levels of a minor league baseball. There's low A, high A, double A, and triple A, which is the highest level of uh, minor league baseball before the players, you know, if they do well enough at triple A, they can play for the major league team that that triple A team is affiliated with. Um, low A, the pitchers will be limited to two step-offs for pickoffs. So after that, they're not allowed to step off at all, which is very different from the way that baseball has been played traditionally. Uh, for the past 150 years, they could they could throw over basically forever. Um, and then the double, the one that really jumped out at me is, a, is the rule change at the double A level where – all defensive uh, teams, all play teams that are in the field playing defense must have at least four players on the infield, which is defined as having both feet completely in front of the outer boundary of the infield dirt. So what that means is you can't have the sorts of defensive shifts that you've seen, especially in the past 20 or 30 years. But those defensive shifts go back a long time, go back to the 1920s and especially in the 1940s to 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 specifically to react one player, Ted Williams, who was the best hitter around, but he only ever hit it to the right side. He was a strictly pull left handed hitter. And so they so they moved the uh, position, the defensive players on the grass and different places it put everybody on the right side and that's going to be against the rules you can't put players on the grass they all have to be on the dirt uh which and and there's no word that i've seen about positioning players on the infield grass uh to field bunts i i really hope that they don't change that but you never know um but this seems specifically to be addressing the idea of having um 
uh, of infield shifts and the way that infield shifts can be played. And if you limit the way infield shifts can be played, you're opening up a range of opportunities for batters, which means more hits, higher scoring. All these rules are intended to bring, I guess, casual fans or whoever in to uh, be as a result of, of higher scoring. Uh, and then uh, the question is always, you know, how many of these changes, uh, you know, at least a question for old <laughs> baseball nerds like me is how many of these changes make it make the game unrecognizable. But for me, from from a uh, from a labor uh, uh, analysis uh, standpoint, this really uh, exposes some things about the way labor is organized in baseball in major league at the major league level. Since that guy, Marvin Miller, I was talking about, took over the union in the late 1960s, that they've had a very strong union. And they've been able to negotiate any of these rule changes, any of these rule changes at the major league level. They got to go through the major league players association. They have to go through the union. The union has to sign off on them. The players have the ability to sign off on changes to the conditions of their labor on the field at the minor league level. There is no such protection. And, and to get to the major leagues, you have to, you almost all players in the major leagues played some minor league ball and many players play in the minors for many years and many there's, there, there's, there's way more roster spots in the minor leagues. A lot of players never get out of the minor leagues. A lot of players, that's, that's all the professional baseball they play. And those players, while they're doing that, they are uh, they lack the kind of union protection that uh, the major league uh, baseball players association provides the major leagues. So they just have to kind of suck it up and, and, and abide the rule changes, no matter what they think about them. It doesn't matter. They can't speak out. They can't say this is bad because they're, they're hanging by a thread at that level, especially like the low way level. Those guys are, are just one, you know, one step away from playing semi-pro or amateur ball for fun. Uh, you know, they, they're not getting paid a whole lot. Like I said, they do need to have a uh, uh, minor, they need to have jobs in the off season just to cover their bills. Um, but you, 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 you take this, these rule changes and these, these, um, these things that are happening, they have no control uh, over and combine them with, the COVID pandemic and, and the entire minor league season was canceled last year. And they, and, and they, they, the minor league players, some of them were, uh, were reimbursed in some ways there. It was uh, very inconsistent this all while every single, every last major league uh, owner is a billionaire who could easily give these guys a couple thousand bucks and it wouldn't impact his lifestyle at all. But, uh, but they, they, most of them didn't do much of anything to support these. They've had to endure this entire year while maintaining by a contractual agreement. They all have contracts with the major league clubs uh, to some degree, and they have to stay in playing shape. They have to be ready to play tomorrow if they're, if they get a phone call. So they're not getting paid They're They are having to abide weird rule changes, changes to the way they do their job. At all the while having to, on their own dime, stay in in playing shape, and they do it because they love this. But at the same time, when you when you consider uh, that they are creating value, there is value being created. The major leagues cannot survive without feeder teams, without farm clubs that are developing the young players to be able to play at the major league level. Um, it, it it's 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 insanely exploitative in my view it's insanely exploitative to to 
to force these guys, even at the lower levels, most of these guys, unless you're a hardcore, hardcore fan of that team, you, you have no idea who any of these guys are. These, this is not, you know, Mike Trout. This is not Nolan Arenado. These are not the big celebrities. These are people that are making 40, 50,000 a year. Uh, some of them less than that. Uh, and, and, but all the while providing value to a bunch of billionaire owners who could, who could easily pay them easily, uh, provide anything they needed and they, but of course they won't not without a union that's going to force them to of course yeah. not the whole time last year um i mean a lot of it was hanging over their head in terms of you know knowing when it was going to be that the major leagues would come and slash all these teams that they just did a few weeks ago or a few months ago so i mean a lot of these guys are there's less minor league spots than there used to be so now some of these guys are forced to, if they want to keep playing, go to a semi-pro or amateur level. So, I mean, some of these guys, you know, in 2019, or just leave, playing, you know, thought, th- then maybe they yeah, go just, be a high school baseball coach. And exactly. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it sucks that it, I mean, it's convenient for owners to be able to kind of use the pandemic as an excuse to push through these changes that they've been talking about and thinking about for a while. But um, I don't know, certainly feel for those lower level players that went from, you know, still having dreams of playing in the majors one day to, Hey, like I'm not going to have a spot next year and I couldn't play this year. I can't keep sustaining this lifestyle. And like you said, no union protection. So it's a real bummer for them. We love disaster capitalism, baby. (laughs) (laughs) The best kind. But yeah, I, um, this has really been enlightening, you know, especially for me, Carrie, as somebody who doesn't admittedly know a lot about baseball. And I think, um, I think our listeners are definitely going to get a lot of a lot out of having your your expert voice on here. Um, we, we are approaching the end of our, our our slate with you, unfortunately. I'd love to do maybe someday we'll do a we'll do a Carrie Tanner special where uh, where we have you on for three hours to talk about yes, union, definitely do that. union organizing. Yeah, you are you are you are always welcome back here on Sinister Sports. Uh, Matt, do you have any do you have any do you have any last minute things for our for our pal here? No, just um, like you said, it's very enlightening and uh, it's great to get to have you on and just hear your thoughts um, and all the knowledge that you bring. And yeah, like I said, I'd love to have you back on because I baseball is always my sport growing up. And as I've grown older and, you know, gone for more of a aspiring baseball player, I mean, I never was good to more of interested in the labor and the business side of it. Um, just fascinating to hear about that and just from a historical perspective as well. So Thanks for joining us. Um, That's a really great conversation. Thanks for having me on. This was a, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, that's what we do here at Sinister Sports. We have, we have fun, but we stay woke. (laughs) All right, Carrie, it was great to have you and uh, we will see you later. Thanks guys. Thank you. All right. So that was, that was a pretty good interview. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to have Carrie around. I've learned a lot from him here at Maryland. He's a great, kind of uh, informal mentor, colleague, and friend. Um, hope that you all who are listening got as much out of listening to him as we did. Definitely a great guy. Absolutely. That was very enlightening and definitely have to have him on the pod again. Yeah, but now that we've, now that we've got that all wrapped up, it is, uh, it is time to jump into what are becoming our regular segments we did not we did not come out of the gate trying to uh trying to be an anti-wisconsin anti-brust i guess we probably came out of the gate trying to be an anti-barstool podcast but you know they just do so much dumb shit that we we have we have it every week 
it's like they say in the Grand Budapest Hotel, that fantastic movie that, you know, they think that we make the podcast with all these great ideas already in our heads. It's like, no, we just we just sit here and drink and the Internet brings this stuff to us. Yeah, we're, yeah. we didn't choose these segments. The segments chose us. Yeah, absolutely. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into our first segment, which is, of course... This week in terrible news from Wisconsin. And boy, is there a lot of stuff that we could have chosen from. There is the Wisconsin legislature is just it's just the most cringe ass collection of the most like cartoonishly stupid. Like they're not even evil. They're just like stupid. Like, yeah, I don't even know what to say about them. It's just. Like there's this there's this legislator from I think he's from like De Pere and his name is Andre Jacques and he looks like fucking Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> he's just gotten like he's like over time he's just gotten fatter and he's lost more hair. So he like, like I met him when I was on like student council you need in back in high school and even then he was a dickhead like anti-abortion because of course you know De Pere is one of the most Catholic cities. Of course in the he's country. been reelected like six times since then. <laughs> of course, yeah. Probably ran unopposed, honestly. <laughs> probably but he's just one of these but <sighs> the most absolutely batshit thing came out of the wisconsin legislature this week and the good news in this wisconsin political shitstorm is that there there is beginning to be a crop of younger progressive female you know non-white legislators that are bringing kind of an air of competence and progressivism to the Wisconsin legislator. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm pretty privileged to know uh, one of them. She's the wife of one of my professors from college. So shout out to John and Christina. If you happen to listen to this playlist, I've cat sat for them before. I've got a very nice but very weird cat. Um, but so Christina is one of the of one of these new freshman voices that are desperately needed. And so what happened, this whole segue is that the Wisconsin State Legislature, because of course they were, were opposed to recognizing uh, Black History Month as an official part of the state legislature. And uh, they some of the new legislators had tried to bring this forward, tried to bring a new resolution forward now after Black History Month. And naturally, of course, it failed. This thing that would teach um, slavery and Black history and teaching the Holocaust and other genocides. So, you know, of course that Yeah, I mean, that's the end of the story. It's not like they tried to, you know, put something else in place that passed, right? Oh, wait, just kidding. It gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse. Um, so, in again, the most comically cartoonish sitcom-y. sitcom Archie Bunker ass way that they could, directly after rejecting this new proposal to recognize Black History Month, the very next instant, literally next thing that happened was they proposed a resolution to, quote, honor the life and commemorate the career and accomplishments 
of Rush Limbaugh. Motherfucking <laughs> You can't make this up. <laughs> you you literally cannot make this shit up. I my brain like deleted system 32 <laughs> when I read that. I was like, are you fucking serious? I just, my head hit the, my <laughs> dust so fast I went blind for a full minute. <laughs> Straight Ugh. up. Oh and it passed 56 to 35 because I'm assuming that a bunch of the Democrats just straight up left. Yeah, just and you know what? Good for them. I just don't even know. I just don't even know what to say at this point anymore. That that won't get me like put on a federal watch list. Just save it for next week's segment. Because as we know, it's gonna happen again. Yep. There's always something, but um shout out to our girl Molly gonna say that. for <laughs> for tweeting all of this stuff with a straight face. Molly, we love you. We we would not be anywhere if we did not have you tweeting out this these absolutely bonkers things day after Whatever day. Whatever they're paying you, it's not enough. That's that's very true. Shout out to or I should say rest in peace to the old Milwaukee Journal Sentinel building, which is now being turned into like mixed use housing and apartments. RIP the the journalistic dream in America. But that's what I've got. That's what I've got for this weekend. Horrible news from Wisconsin. Do you have have anything on, on the home front that you that you thought of? You know, I just like I think I went into hibernation after I saw that and just I needed to give myself mental break to sustain my own sanity and i just refuse to look at any news from that state maybe i'll see something that happens and uh we'll catch up on it next week but i i just don't think we can top that yeah there's always something that's for sure but yes so with great reservation and exasperation we present to you with this week in horrible wisconsin news but don't fret there's still more bullshit out there in the world, folks. And to bring that to you, we are going to move ahead with our second segment, the now officially named Barstool Beatdown. And uh, Matt, we've we've got multiple. Barstool has been up to no fucking good, as usual. And um, I think you've got something to start yeah, us off truly with. truly no, no off-season for those posting kinks. They just, they just go at it. But yeah. This week, uh, I was kind of pleasantly, well, I don't know if I'd say pleasantly, but kind of surprised to see um, kind of a voice that I don't normally hear from or more quiet and moving into the hockey world, which I know you're not as familiar with yet, but uh, one of TSN, which is one of the Canadian sports networks, uh, top announcers, Gord Miller, he's like called Olympic Games and World Junior Championships, pretty well known and respected commentator in the hockey world. Uh, some random person on Twitter, just asked him when he's going to, when are you going to come on and join the spitting chicklets podcast, which dumb fucking name to begin with, but that's for another day. <laughs> and, uh, which is, I should say is the barstool hockey podcast hosted by, um, Ryan Whitney and, uh, Paul Vizanet, who also have a, their own, uh, spitting chicklets vodka line. That's like pink lemonade flavored. Again, that sounds, yeah, horrible. sounds terrible. Sounds like a walking hangover, but, so they asked him when he's going to join the podcast and Gordon Miller. And I don't even think he knew what he was getting himself into, but he, uh, he just tweeted back kindly. I like those guys a lot, but anything to do with barstool barstool is a no go for me. And you know, 
whenever someone tweets Barstool in any sort of negative commentation, it just sets off a shit storm of straight up dumbassery. So angry, angry, angry frat bros. bros. So he spent the next like three days trying to defend himself and obviously no need to defend himself, but he sent out like a eight tweet thread talking about how he got a ton of like texts and emails and calls. And most of them he was saying, which is good that a lot of uh, female and BIPOC colleagues, colleagues um, said they were afraid to speak out about their issues with Barstool because we know those are among the most vulnerable and the most frequently attacked groups from Barstool. Uh, so they kind of reached out to him and were, you know, expressed that they were happy and proud of him for standing up for that. And he went on to explain just his whole problem with Barstool. He says, quote, the history of unapologetic misogyny, racism, xenophobia, repeated condoning of non-consensual sex, end quote. And I don't even know where to go with this. I mean, the poor guy was just getting harassed for like four days. His daughter tried to like come to his defense on Twitter and just also got just like, you know, all these angry frat bros trying to say that like, well, you know, they raised $37 million for small businesses. So like, obviously they're good people. You just like are haters. So I don't even know. Yeah. We've been, we've been subjected um, to that too <laughs> ourselves. We, we have, we have, we learned our lesson to this. I don't know. It's not even worth the time. Right, Niji? Yeah. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a big believer in like tweeting asterisks or like censoring yourself on Twitter, but uh, I will only do it. I will only do yeah. it with Barstool for the sole reason that it's just going to like, I'm going to just get like, never left their hometown chuds in my mention in the menchies <laughs> i do it like ironically uh, as like a joke sometimes but like when it comes to barstool like you might have to actually incorporate those protection mes- measures but <laughs> the buff explosives yes you got that one <laughs> thought we could go a week without bringing them up but here we are oh no no we we're definitely gonna get we're definitely gonna get on that train in a little bit we could have i don't know one week just me talking about them for two hours and that's probably just that's probably just you just crying yeah, into the microphone you'll say that you're recording but you never hit the record button <laughs> therapeutic session but hey this week we don't have one barstool beat down we have two is that right yeah no we have two two parts of the barstool beat down and um, so this one is from Julie DeCaro, who um, I was not really familiar with. She is apparently a senior writer and editor at Deadspin, the, the new resurrected yeah, zombie. The bad Deadspin, but we're not going to hold it against her. Deadspin. Yeah, you know what? She gets a she gets a pass. She gets the sinister pass. And uh, she wrote a book called Sports, Culture and Being a Woman in America, which actually seems like a which seems like a fairly interesting yeah, book that were I not were I not having to read like five books a week for school, I would absolutely absolutely check out. But um, she tweeted uh, this was yes this was yesterday actually, March 17th. She tweeted she tweeted that she had spent more than two years working on a book and that yesterday Barstool Sports via the Kirk Minahane show disseminated the entire thing for 7.5 hours on their YouTube channel because they think it's funny. That's, that's, and it's just and I'm sure she, she has to have ragged on Barstool. In that yeah, book. I mean, and obviously for good reason, as you know, the whole thesis of the book is something that quote-unquote stoolies are known to perpetuate and 
online culture. Yeah. So harassment of women, especially Dave Porntoy. Yes. Our buddy. <laughs> no, we're not, you know, we're, we're not, this is, this podcast isn't going to be legit until like we get QRT'd by Dave Porntoy and like get harassed by thousands of people. that engagement, baby. <laughs> <laughs> with our little with our little like 15 follower <laughs> podcast account <laughs> it's like a couple east high people in like my girlfriend yeah that's that's true but hey the, the, but, um, and she, yeah and you know they were and like there were some of these like good barstool guys like barstool mm-hmm. big cat and i don't know like some of the other guys who i guess allegedly aren't as like bad as like as like porn toy and you know the other guys and they were and this guy was also just he was like haha is it, are we gonna go over seven hours or six hours i'm gonna set the over at six hours and he's like take the over baby take the over so you know as as she said there's you know there's big cat one of the not so bad barstool guys cheering on this the theft of her the theft of her hard work i mean you know just to have it out there like that it's huge copyright infringement. You know, I, I'm I'm a big supporter of open access with public mm-hmm. domain. Don't really like copyright, but I want to I want to see the DMCA. She's got to lower the boom on I'm these fuckers. So. Yeah. Oh no. And there is there is confirmed a uh, chapter okay. on Barstool in it. So um, I might have to might have to copy yeah, a copy absolutely. of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at some douchebag, some douchebag named Ryan. <laughs> like R Y. Okay, oh, Ryan. Okay, okay. Yeah, 288 pages about three of the most broad subjects ever put to paper. It took you two whole years. Might want to rethink that professional writer thing. Like, hey, buddy. Okay, yeah, right. dickhead. Like, do you know how long books are supposed <laughs> to be? Do you know this process called editing nope. and research? Nope. Guy probably hasn't read a book since That's ninth grade. If that, got to read another book or read literally a book. Read Marx. Absolutely, read read Marx. Read Engels. People people sleep on um, socialism, utopian and scientific, kind of like the Communist Manifesto 2.0, written by Engels, the Luigi of communism. Highly recommend. Just too bad that that they didn't really talk a lot about sports. Yeah. It's a deep dive. It's a deep dive for another time. That's why but... people are like carried to come on. Connect the dots. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so so there's your so there's your barstool fuckery for this week. And you know, as always, there's there's always more barstool fuckery coming down the pipe. But go check out Julie DeCaro's book, Sidelined, Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America. Looks like it should be an interesting read. Definitely, definitely much deserved. I think she went on a podcast with Dave Zirin, who <laughs> maybe we'll get on a pod. Maybe we'll get here someday. I think he lives in DC. But, uh, but yeah, that's all for the Barstool Beatdown. Thank fucking God. Seriously. So yeah, Matt, let's um, let's uh, let's talk about the Minnesota and Sabers coaching situation. Talking about. What Minnesota coach situation? Oh, basketball. Fired. See, I, 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 I feel like I just I didn't watch a single game of college basketball this year. It's like I didn't have the time or energy. Wow. I just like put it out of my mind space. But I mean, he's a good dude. I was, I, you know, I liked him. He seemed cool. But it was hard to not make that move when 
I don't know. Minnesota is probably like, I mean, I don't have numbers to back this up, but I feel like they've been churning out these like really top of the line recruits the last six plus years. And the vast majority of them have gone elsewhere, whether it's like Wisconsin or Gonzaga or Duke or et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. I, it was time to make a move, um, connect the pipe or kind of close the pipeline and get these kids to stay in state. But um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes from there. Uh, did they did they actually like confirmed not win a road they game? They did not win year? a road game unless you count the first round of the Big Ten tournament against, I believe, Northwestern, which they almost blew. But I guess that's like a new a neutral <laughs> like site like game, a, so you can't count it. Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a, that's yeah, kind of a great. Like they were like zero and ten on the road, but um, I mean, they had some like key injuries, obviously, but some of those losses were just embarrassing. Personally bad. And it's so weird though. They like they won, I think, four games against top ten ranked opponents in the Big Ten. No, they did. I think they did they, they beat, beat Michigan? Michigan. They beat Ohio State. Yeah. They beat Iowa. Michigan's insanely good. Um they beat Maryland. Nope. Yeah, I got I think I got Maryland going. At least having them win in the first round in my bracket. So if they don't, I'm gonna hold that to you. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm so I'm so pessimistic. Really? This team is this team has crushed my dreams so many. Oh fuck! Sorry, I took the coaster with me. The team has been like crushing my dreams so often yeah. this season that so Maryland's that's what Maryland sports do to you. They just crush you your dreams. GB the year that they finally made the tournament, or were you already at Miami at that point? Like yeah. the men, not the woman dominate, but. I think the men did it my freshman year. They made like I feel like they've been like two in the last. I don't know because I know like. Yeah, let me let me get in, let me get a good old yeah, fact and check you on that real quick. But um, did you go to games when you were in college at all? Yeah. No. <laughs> I went to. I think I went to like one women's game for like the one game I was in pep okay. band for. Fun fact was in like Green Bay. I didn't know that Green Bay Phoenix drums pep band. I was in it for, well, it was, it was, you know, I I went into it, obviously, you know, coming out of high school um, and not realizing that in college, at least in like the basketball level. And I, and I've noticed from, from like women at the, the football or women, um, what the fuck was I trying to say? What did I just say? Um, noticing it like Maryland at like the football games that like the drum sets are way bigger like components of love gotcha. the pep band and I've always been I've always been a dog shit yeah, drum yeah. set player <laughs> so I like I tried because like GB had like drum sets and like marching equipment and their marching equipment was way worse than what we yeah. had at, at East I, yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan so, of uh, um, drum set in a pep band I remember like the couple times that I can let us wheel it down to the gym but literally yeah, like I don't twice. know why it like makes it so much better but I don't know. But yeah, I looked and they made the tournament in the fifteen sixteen year, which would have been your yeah, junior year, there. right? It was yeah, Link Darner's first year. season as head coach, who no longer is head coach. But they hired Bo Ryan's son, didn't they? Yeah, I was just, I was just, yeah. I just remembered that. I don't, I don't, I feel like it was Link Darner getting fired was like it was, weird. yeah, it was like unexpected. I don't know if there was some like shady stuff happening or. I don't know maybe he'd maybe boink the student as uh as my as my shout out to the shout out to the Big Ten Nebraska save the Big Ten college basketball DM I like to use a uh, boink when they're talking about uh, coaches accused of sexual impropriety. A Rick Patino, you could say. Senior. <laughs> Rick Pitino. 
there's lots of there's lots of Rick there's lots of Rick Patino course going on in the in the DM. True. But yeah, I don't know uh, what you're talking about with Buffalo Sabers. I don't know who they are or what they are. I've never heard of them. <laughs> you're pleading yeah, the fifth on this that is one. Strictly a baseball podcast. <laughs> Um, did, did you, did you enjoy the all time sports ratio? They lost what? 60 on Monday. Yeah. I guess the caps, the, the Islanders. Um, yeah, it was, it was a caps that they lost six to nothing to on Monday night and then lost four to three to the devils who was like the only team they could beat on Tuesday night. And then finally mercifully canned their coach the next morning. But I mean, they're getting like their shit kicked in right now as we talk like four to one against the Bruins, but Bruins are good. So expect Go it. Bruins, baby whatever this year is over it's a weird year <laughs> yeah well at least at the very at the very least they have cool looking uniforms true, true but yeah so hopefully they'll hopefully they'll get that cleaned up and hopefully they won't have to drive the tank for uh for no. too much longer by the time you know no tanking and actually go to a game and you can join me and then i don't know i'll come out and see a sabers caps game again and you can meet me there Sounds good to me. But yeah, any uh, any any interesting observations on NFL free agency? Um, you know the Packers are allergic to it, so not much on my end. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was like it was like they were allergic to it for like twenty years, and it's like all right, we're gonna sign Zadarius Smith, we're gonna sign Preston Smith, Billy we're Turner, gonna sign Aaron Jones, Adrian Amos. and now they're just yep. like nope. no, and now it's. I mean, like, nope. to be fair, like the twenty nineteen free agent class, like basically turned the franchise along around plus like you know aaron Rodgers waking up but yeah nope mm-hmm. they're not gonna do that again the ravens make a few moves <laughs> oh my god it's been even really? worse I saw some, like, like signings but so since they've re- they've like they've made one acquisition um they got kevin zeitler who was who's a right guard he was a cap cut from the giants um he's and he's pretty durable so he should definitely he should definitely be a be a good addition to the lion that was that was like that was one of the biggest problems he's a badger, isn't he? yeah he's from uh, he's from okay. milwaukee i'm pretty sure played it he think he played at like wisconsin lutheran mm-hmm. high school like the wacky the wacky yeah. lutherans uh my cousin almost played football for them fun fact or well wisconsin lutheran college okay. i should say not the not the high school, obviously, but he wound up playing for Oshkosh right. instead. Jameer, right? Yeah, yeah, with Jameer. Um, but no, they just signed him, and he seems to be like a, they, people seem to be pleased with that signing. But like Ravens Twitter has been going absolutely fucking bananas because they're just not signing a wide receiver. Yeah. That's what everyone's just been talking about. It's it's always like oh, we need to get Lamar Jackson a number one wide receiver. Then there's that, and then there's people who will be like, well, there's no there's no real such thing as a number one wide receiver because it all depends on the system yeah. that you run. But it's just like 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 looking at the and apparently this is a really like this is a really like tough year for wide receiver mm-hmm, free agency definitely. like um, because this dr- incoming draft is so stacked with good wide receivers. Um, and just like teams are that, so cap strapped to begin with. And, you know, yeah, although I just saw today that like the NFL yeah. just signed like a it, absolutely ridiculous was, was like, like revenue sharing dollars over the next 10 years. It was something like that. It's like it's 10 like billion 10 billion a year, a year for yeah, the next so like, many years. Skyrocket, which, like, the cap's going to go absolutely dumb. Jerry Jones is kind of alluding to on the DAC contract. But yeah, that's kind of funny, though, because 
I mean, a lot of people are saying similar things about the Packers, obviously with the wide receiver, although the Ravens don't really have a Devonta Adams yet, but yeah, it'd be nice if we had a Devonta you, Adams. I mean, could be your Devonta Adams. That was Rashad Bateman. I don't see him. I want him. Look, dude, I want him so bad, but I don't see him falling to 27. I, I, I just, I yeah. don't see it. Look, I'm not, I'm no draft nice expert. Like I tried to do a mock draft and I did the first round pick and I'm like, I don't know what the, the I don't know what the fuck you. else I'm doing. Yeah, truly it did. But I feel like even in the mock draft, like, like Bateman, Bateman went, I'm going to do it. No, I'm going to do a mock draft okay. right now. Okay. And I, and I guarantee you Bateman will not fall to 27. I mean, yeah, all the ones that I've been reading lately are very offensive heavy, so that would make sense. But yeah, we have like, yeah, we there's only five teams that pick after us in in the uh, in the first rounds. But yeah, because it's the what I, what I thought what my dad was telling me, but like the Kevin Zeitler signing was. It was going to allow. So they have a left guard named Bradley mm-hmm. Bozeman. He played it. He played. He was a center at okay. Alabama, and he was used to snapping the shotgun because he was a center when Tua Tagovailoa was there, which is how you fucking pronounce that. You nailed by that. the way at at every Announcer. CBS college football announcer I've had. Well, because you know his little brother yeah, plays in right. Maryland. He lit up Minnesota, so, didn't he? He did. That was like the one <laughs> game I like. I think it was the second game of the year for them, and like they lost to Michigan at home, and like. I was like, okay, whatever. It's a tough game, but like, you know, getting the rust off. They didn't have the practice. They probably have COVID. And then like, I was like, it's okay. We'll turn around and we'll, you know, we should easily be in Maryland. And then like, I got together with a buddy to watch that game and like, just seeing them just get their shit kicked in. I was like, this is going to be bad. And then I don't think I watched another game the rest of the year. Yeah. Well, remember that Maryland only won because your kicker biffed the I, extra point. Honestly, that kind of blocked that on my memory. In my mind, it was like a 30 point loss, but no it was i mean it was this they went to like i think it went yeah, to like double did, overtime and then and like i said the only reason that maryland won was the guy shanked the extra point uh, minnesota and their kickers both collegiate and Truly. professional boat road <laughs> <laughs> um what was i what was i gonna say though um but yeah with like like i made sure to like pronounce it correctly because every time i listen to like a maryland game like they're always fucking it which is fair because, you know, you wouldn't expect it to be pronounced the no, way it is. But also, like, in the media notes of every press box, they have pronunciation guides. So, like, yeah, you could get it right if you really wanted to. It, people people still fuck it oh, up yeah. so bad, like so incredibly badly, though. All right. So I'm running. I'm running my okay. draft right now. So uh, Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, as okay. as expected. What slide are you using? Jacksonville is going to be interesting. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm a PFF. The Jets picked uh, Justin so Fields. Like, it just simulates Fields. it until whatever team you chose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Dolphins get Panacey well. Okay. He's supposed to be an id. He's supposed to be like a dummy, like offensive yeah. lineman. Falcons take Kyle Pitts. Bengals take Devontae Smith. It's an interesting. Okay, I can not see to that, not to like honestly. interject you, but I just pulled one up myself, and the Jags took Zach Wilson with the first pick. So this is a busted <laughs> ass mock draft. <laughs> with what mock I'm using draft? I'm a PFF one. I've never used it before. Somehow, like 
Trevor Lawrence goes to the Jets. I don't know, probably some New Yorker that rigged this, but no, what number yeah. two? I, I've seen like I've seen some like some like Zach Wilson propaganda that like he's actually gonna like sleep or go number yeah. one. I I believe it. I mean, it's kind of like the uh, Baker Mayfield a couple years ago, but yeah, no, I just in my draft the Eagles took Wilson at sixth okay. overall. That makes sense, although their owner was like. No, that, that I feel like that doesn't make. They would not do that because they just dumped Wentz yeah, but off. Like, I don't know if like, like if uh, Jalen Hurts is that like is the answer though. Like in the one I'm just doing right, right now, so. they picked Justin Fields six overall. So like the owner was very adamant about like Hurts is our quarterback. Like we need to move forward <laughs> as he's the number yeah. one and build around him. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, also not to mention that Philly is just like a cursed yeah. franchise right now. Yeah, I don't know who the Lions pick is. I don't know who any of these guys are. Yeah, um, Rashad Bateman in my mock draft went number 20 to the Bears, which would be awful, but makes kind of sense given where he is lately. It's just it's funny because in mine, the Bears picked oh, Mac funny. Jones. <laughs> yeah, 20th overall, and uh, yeah. Ravens have Kadarius Toney at 27, another wide receiver from Interesting, Florida. interesting. Yeah, yeah, I know that guy. Um, the Packers are on the clock. Should I pick another quarterback? <laughs> Kyle Trask or something. Just burn, yeah. burn it all down. Okay, you know what? He's at. I have. I, I'm picking Who? him. Damon? I'm picking. Okay, I'm picking okay. Rashad. He was. He was there at 27. I feel. Like, I don't know. I've seen him anywhere I, I from think, like 15 to like mid second round. So who knows? Wild. I think he goes. I in the first so. round, no I mean, matter what. I feel like I thought Minnesota would have a first rounder last year with Antoine Winfield Jr., who probably should have been a first rounder, but um, it'd be cool to see actually get one because I don't spend a while since that's happened. Yeah, the Packers on mine drafted Wyatt Davis, who's a okay. guard. That, yeah, I, I guess I guess that would make sense though because they have to replace. Do you know who? Do you know who they're trying to replace Lindsay with? Um, so Lucas Patrick has kind of been like the sixth lineman, and he's actually like his best position is center because he's like, he's a great run blocker, but he's like dog shit and pass protection. So, um, unless they make a move, he'll probably enter camp as at least competing for the center. They really like Elton Jenkins. Who's just like, can play any position you ask him to, but I feel like center is probably his weakest and kind of projects long-term as a left guard. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, Billy Turner sticking around cause they restructured him and, they got rid of Rick Wagner, so they're probably really uh, high on John Runyon Jr. Um, coming into his second year. So I'm excited to see Jordan Love play some yep. games in the preseason. Um, Definitely. He's the number two now, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The, the Browns took a took a tackle in this mock draft. I feel like they need to make their secondary yeah, better. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Because I feel like when I did it the first time, Bateman went earlier. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, they gave me a... They gave me a... Uh, an A-. minus. Okay. okay. <laughs> Draft grade. I think that's what I'm going to say. If he's there at 27, okay. I'm taking him. I like that. Well, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a f- two round draft. 
it's kind of fun to play around with though yeah it was like i said i, I like i know i know dick about who the rest yeah. of the people are yeah. beyond the beyond the fritz see i just want to see if the if creed humphrey is gonna go before we get him in the okay. second round because may can i maybe get him in the, oh see no because the fucking the cardinals took rashad bateman 16th overall in this but one. now that they um when did you do that when did I, you what? like do that Oh, I just oh, I just like redid right it. Now they just said no. Because oh, I was gonna say, didn't the Cardinals? Yeah. Uh, well, they signed uh, AJ Green, who's not, you know, much of anything. So I guess the, cor- the corpse of a- yeah, AJ so Green. I guess that wouldn't really stop them from picking another receiver. But I don't know. Yeah, I picked Pat Fryamuth, TE from okay. Penn State. It's supposed to be good. Wonder where we uh when I don't I don't know where the Ravens next oh it's 59th. Have they, have they have they picked the guy that I want? I'll find out. All right. All right, yeah, I'm taking Creed Humphrey. 59th right. overall. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to go after this. Wow, they don't, they gave me a C plus for Humphrey. Oh come on. Overall, it's a B because Pat Fryermuth was a was a. Okay, I'm gonna do one more, and then I think we'll pack it in. I didn't know the the Bears apparently brought in Kenny Galladay for a visit. Yeah, I saw that, but it's like they tagged. Like I think it was either him or the Giants. Yeah, Giants. Well, I think it was like, well, it's like the Giants are visiting him, but like the Giants have like no, like they have. What are they gonna pay him? They have no cap space either. I thought, that's what I and thought. Obviously, I the thought Bears I just tagged Allen Robinson, so that would really make sense. Yeah, maybe they'll try and trade him. Yeah. Bears just took Mac Jones again in this one. Fucking the Jaguars just took. I wanted Rashad Bateman, but the Jaguars just took him. Okay, I'm taking. I'm taking Kadarius. What if this Tony. accounts for like? Um. Because didn't Jake Jake's signed a couple receivers in free agency? So like. Take into account that or no? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should just burn it all down and sign Najee Harris. (laughs) (laughs) Another another running back. Kyle Trask fell all the way to 53rd in this one. Any Maryland prospects that are expected to be picked high? No, I I don't know. I don't think like anybody went into the oh, draft. Right. There was like one guy. Oh wow! I, I guess I only made this two rounds. Damn, they really hate Kadarius Tony. <laughs> <laughs> D plus, <laughs> D plus draft grade. Oh, I guess because I I pick I picked two wide yeah. receivers. Oops, I because I thought that I thought I was doing three rounds. Oh well, mock drafts are dumb. Yeah, exactly. I guess we'll see what happens, though. Yeah, it's coming up. Yeah, because they I mean, ra- ra- yeah, the Ravens have they lost like they lost some of their they lost their two big free agent linebackers, Matt Matt Judon and Yannick Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah. Judon got a um, bobo catch to the Pats. 
to the passages, Bill Belichick standing there in that red sweater, he's just fucking throwing money at everybody. (laughs) No, I saw some, I saw something where it was like, he spent more money in this free agency period than he like, I think he's over 150 mil in guaranteed money alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, um, gonna lose the bills though. (laughs) It's true. Dude, the pit Steelers are looking cringe. I'm, I'm excited. I saw some tweet that was like the the Browns defense got better. The Ravens defense got slightly worse. The Bengals looked like they got slightly worse. The Pittsburgh just got worse huh. in everything. Because they lost a couple of their defensive yeah. players, I think. So I'll, uh, the revenge tour is going to be really awesome when Baltimore sweeps Pittsburgh. Next I'm here season. for it. Dude, I'm always here for upsetting Steelers True. fans. But yeah, and then um, another one of their uh, edge rushers went to Jacksonville, right. um, Jihad Ward, because the Ravens, uh, uh, there was a Ravens coach who's the D, the DC there now. Okay. Yeah, and other than that, they've still got there's still a couple like Juju Smith Schuster is still a free agent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's pretty much pretty much dried up. Like the big wide receivers, there's a couple guys on the Ravens uh, that are free agents that, as far as I know, haven't gotten any offers yet. Like Willie yeah. Sneed. De- decent decent hand good yeah. good hands but otherwise not really like a incredible yeah. wide receiver oh no the ravens did um the ravens traded like a seventh round pick for some some tight end i think <laughs> I think from the okay. jaguars maybe so see if he even makes yeah. the team but yeah we got comp picks oh, yeah. baby Oh golly! Well, uh, we've gone, we've gone over. I'll do it <laughs> over slightly, but I blame, uh, I blame mock drafts for being gamified yeah, and fun. You in. Yeah, but that's hey, it was true. Good. <sighs> yeah, definitely good. I, I had a fun time in Cincinnati this week with some of my friends. Good. Good. Love that city. Love that city. It's got cursed sports true. teams, but love the oh, Reds, yeah. baby. My my baseball life is full of sadness between the Reds yeah. and the Orioles. Yeah. Love it. So next year will be their year, and I, I I always want the Bengals to win, just not when they're totally. playing the Ravens. So, all right, Matt, do you have any have any parting words to our to our hey, no. public? Uh, I don't know, just to you. Good luck tomorrow. Enjoy it up there in Baltimore and getting your jab. Hope you feel all right. Hell yeah. And hang in there. Yeah, hopefully it's just the hopefully it's just the one doser, but I guess we'll see what yeah. happens. Yeah, we're um, the light is ahead. Uh, we are we're working our way out of this global panoramic. Sure. <laughs> so um, better days are ahead, Hanging folks. There, and as always, thank you for tuning in to Sinister Sports, your home for leftist sports news and analysis. This has been episode three. It is March 18th. And this is Evan and Matt signing off. And remember, listeners, at Sinister Sports, we always want to say, you have nothing to lose but your chains. Take it easy, folks, and we'll see you next week or maybe in a couple weeks.